0: Psalm 57. Psalm 57. We'll read the entire psalm and then we'll read uh, the answers together on page 17. Lord's Day 10 of the Catechism. Psalm 57. We'll be focusing mostly on the first few verses, particularly verse 2, but we'll read the whole psalm. Hear God's holy word. Psalm 57 for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David Amiktam when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions, I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet, I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The grass withers. And the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. Page 17, Lord's Day 10. Let's read the answers together with one voice regarding divine providence. What do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, Prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance but from His fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence. In our faithful God and Father, that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand, that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. The power of God and the greatness of God is a mystery to us it's a it's a great mystery we'll never be able to fully reckon with uh, the nature of his power psalm 47 verse 2 for the Lord the most high is to be feared he is a great king over all the earth we understand in some sense the kings of the earth But we often wonder what it's like to be them. What is it like to have an entire nation under you? To have so many people around you to do your bidding? Much more is the mystery of what it's like to be God. So the power of God, the greatness of God is a great mystery. The condescension of God is a profound mystery. Psalm 113. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? ...who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, that God has regard for his creation, that God looks upon the earth, is a profound mystery. But the Most High God, condescending to help his creatures, to help poor creatures, to help helpless creatures, that is a matchless mystery. Power of God, great mystery, condescension of God, profound mystery... The help of God, the great God condescending to help his poor creatures, that is a matchless mystery. Psalm 138, For the Lord is high, but he regards the lowly. The Lord is high, but he has regard for the lowly. And then, of course, perhaps the central verse in all of the scriptures regarding the doctrine of providence, Romans 8.28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. A good understanding of providence, a right understanding of providence, brings comfort into our lives. And there, there's a danger of neglecting providence. There's, there's a danger in uh, not believing it. If we Uh, reject this doctrine in our hearts what we are rejecting is what God clearly has revealed to us he's revealed to us this truth about who he is of his absolute sovereignty in order that we might trust him more in order that we might find him to be our refuge and our strength it's better to find refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes, right? So we know that whenever the Bible is talking about taking refuge in God, it's talking particularly about trust. And the Psalms bring that before us time and time and time again. Trust the Lord, trust the Lord, make him your refuge. A great theologian now in the presence of glory, R.C. Sproul, he said this, I don't always feel God's presence." But God's promises do not depend upon my feelings. They rest upon his integrity. Who is God? What has he promised to be? What has he told you about his sovereign will and sovereign power over the world? I am on an online group, pastor's group. We try to help encourage one another, uh, mostly Presbyterian pastors... And uh, listen to what this uh, particular Presbyterian said this week. He brought up the Heidelberg Catechism of all things. He was talking about uh, slipping into the hospital. He was there before visiting hours. Uh, In parentheses, he says, clerical collars are actually very helpful. And as a side note, I've uh, been trying to convince my wife to allow me to get some more Protestant-looking clerical collars for when I go on things like hospital visits and things like that. She has yet to acquiesce, a little bit uncomfortable uh, with that. But I tell her it'd be nice to go out into public and people know that I'm a minister. Anyways, that's another discussion for later on. But anyways, this pastor goes on. And uh, he comes to his congregant's room. And uh, it is an, an elderly couple. The wife is in the bed. The husband is next to the bed, and his wife's condition has significantly worsened over the past couple of days. And he sees uh, the man with head buried in his hands, perhaps overcome with grief and with sadness, He had an idea of what he was going to read, and he was going to sing a hymn with them. And he goes into the room. He knows it's not right, so he has to change his plans on the fly. What does he do? He reaches into his Bible. There's a page there, and he hands it to the man. And what is it? It's Lord's Day 10, questions 27 and 28. And he reads it aloud, the husband. And the answer, of course, uh, of question 28 particularly... What is it that helps us in knowing that God creates all things, that God upholds all things? Well, we can be patient in adversity. We can be thankful in prosperity. With a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence that in our faithful God and Father, no creature will separate us from his love. Here is true comfort the pastor said that immediately sort of his countenance was lifted even in the midst of this very difficult situation that's particularly why the Lord gives these truths to us hard times are coming they are coming and we need to be ready God wants our trust and he wants us to trust him in the midst of those difficult times that's what providence is all about We look at Psalm 57 together and then we'll unpack some of the things from it. First, we notice the extreme danger in which David finds himself at the writing of this psalm. He is fleeing from Saul. He is hiding in a cave. We actually have the occasion for this in 1 Samuel 24. It says this, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. This was a desolate place where David was. And probably in his heart and in his mind, what he is wanting is for Saul to just forget about him. And yet we see that the the one who has been appointed king, King Saul. Now David has been anointed at this point, but he has not yet gone to the throne. And David's men are going to be pushing him to take Saul out. And what does David say? I won't touch the Lord's anointed. God is sovereign. He's going to put me on the throne when he wants me on the throne. But David is probably thinking in his heart, why doesn't Saul just let me be? I'm here among the goats. I'm hiding in a cave. So when God's appointed king pursues you to the dark and desolate holes, you have a right to feel oppressed. Right? He's closed in. Saul is closing in on him. There's no means of escape. He's trapped in a cave, much like a, a prey. An animal who is prey is experiencing at the hands of the predator. Right? Trapped in a cave, nowhere to go. So, verse 4 I am in the midst of lions, I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. You understand, he's portraying men as animals, as predators there. But what we notice is that David does not use this occasion uh, to sulk, but he cries out to God. He does not use this occasion to doubt he has trust and so we see an earnest plea even though he's in the midst of lions what does he do he cries out to god you know, people uh, consider things uh, what's called the problem of evil one of the the arguments against the existence of god that good things or bad things happen to good people and how can there be a god if bad things are happening to good people well One thing that we have to acknowledge right on the face of it is that the the Bible has no problem with this. The Bible does not deny tough times. The Bible does not deny difficulty. The the Bible does not deny the presence of evil. And the, the, the impression that we get from reading scripture is that all will not always be well in this world. And Jesus has told us, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And when we see evil in the world when we see even uh the uh, the occurrence of the absurd often at times in our world we see things where you say i i don't really have the categories to even process what that is the, the the kind of twisted evil that we are seeing i don't even know how i'm to process this well when we when we see those kinds of things the first thing that we are to do is to remind ourselves that we have done this we have brought this upon ourselves in our sinfulness and rebelling against the god Who made us? So, David is not frightened out of his faith. He's not frightened out of his duty. And that's something that we are to uh, take to ourselves. We are not to be frightened to the point where we cannot have faith. We are not to be frightened to the point where we cannot render our duty before God. David repeats himself in this prayer Have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. It shows that he still desires deliverance desperately. And it's okay to do that, to pray to God in that way, in desperation. But to repeat ourselves, this is something we know from our youngest years, as the father of of young children, um, constantly trying to remind my children that you don't need to say something ten times. right? When they really want something, they repeat, repeat, repeat. David's doing the same thing here. Have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me. Look at the ground of David's trust, uh, or the ground of his plea. Have mercy upon me, for in you my soul takes refuge. That might sound to us like David is saying, God, you have mercy upon me because I'm trusting in you. Look at my trust of you. You should show mercy to me, but that's not what David is doing at all. It's not David taking refuge, but rather he is putting emphasis on the God in whom he's taking refuge. Have mercy upon me, for in you my soul takes refuge. He's emphasizing there the character of God and the promises of God. Deuteronomy 31, it says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be fear or be in dread of them, your enemies, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. David is saying, I'm trusting in you. God. You've promised you will not leave me nor forsake me. Isaiah 41 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will strengthen you. I will help you. So we see David's extreme danger. You, we see his earnest plea in the midst of that danger, and we learn from that, and then David's firm trust. David's firm Trust. We see that he sees a responsibility that comes forth in the midst of this situation. Verse 2 I will cry to God most high. I will cry to God most high. What does he do? He remembers who it is that's truly on the throne. Saul was high, but God is the most high. Saul was high, but God is the most high. I will cry to God most high. This is more than just prayer. This is intense and fervent prayer. It's verb cry, Psalm eighteen six. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Hebrews 5 verse 7, in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Something we learn from David is the passion, the zeal that filled his prayers. He wasn't just praying, he was crying out. Jesus does the same things. He fills his prayer with cries and with tears. And God hears him because of his reverence. Something else we learn from the stories of David. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord weighs the heart. And there we learn that the Lord weighs the heart in our prayers. When we find ourselves in dire straits, just like David does here. And we know, we recall to ourselves the lesson that we've learned in scripture to come to God. Do we understand that the Lord is weighing the heart? He knows what's behind it. We need to fill our souls with a desire to glorify him before we get into that situation. So that when we find ourselves there, we can cry out to him and be heard because of our reverence. So we see that responsibility that duty that arises from knowing God's sovereignty but then also we see an encouragement I will cry to God most high to God who fulfills his purpose for me and there we see God's sovereignty there we see his providence all things that are in the will of God he will do and he will fulfill the purpose for his people Uh, one commentator translates, translates this phrase saying, not God fulfills his purpose for me, but he is the transactor of my affairs. This, the, it brings this picture of God is the one who's kind of taking care of everything on the, the, over, on the oblique sides of your life. He is the one making sure that it comes to a good result. David teaches us that it must be God Who is our help? For if it is not God who is our help, then there will be no one to help. Life often reminds us, doesn't it, that many things are outside of our control and are outside of any human being's control. And if you do not have God who is your help, you will have no help. David here is trapped in a cave. There are no means for David's escape, but God is not limited by means. So he cries out to him, the God who can do all things. Now, we need to consider how it is that David, as the anointed one, the anointed king, relates to us. Uh, Because... David has all of these explicit promises made to him. He is the anointed king. He knows that he's going to the throne. He knows that God will preserve his life. And so when we read the Psalms and we try to think of the situation in which David finds himself, how does it apply to us? Well, it applies to us in Christ, doesn't it? The greater David. The one who came after David and who had these same promises given to him. But Jesus experienced those promises through the throes of death. That he was headed to the throne. Just like we saw today in Philippians chapter 2. In like manner, we are headed for glory and we too have to go through the throes of death but we can gla- grasp onto these promises just like David did, just like Jesus did and know that they are true and know that God will fulfill his purpose for us. So here's the bottom line of, of God's providence. The first is this. It's all encompassing. There's nothing that is outside of God's sovereign power. Providence has its eye on everything that relates to us throughout our lives from first to last. It's not only the great and important things but the small and ordinary affairs of our lives. It's all shaped by God's decree. It all falls within the realm of God's care. He is concerned about it all. Secondly, providence is absolutely effectual. It's perfect. Nothing can thwart God's purposes. Nothing can uh, move aside his providence. His purpose is always fulfilled, always and completely. He's sovereign over everything. Third, providence only produces that which is beneficial to our ultimate good. And here is where we find gospel comfort. Here is where we find otherworldly comfort, Everything that happens in the lives of God's elect only works towards their ultimate good. It's astounding truth to chew on. Think about all the things that happen in your life that you do not enjoy at all. That you would not even wish upon your worst enemy. God promises to you all the things he brings into your path for his people work to their ultimate good. That is the promise of Romans 8, The workings of providence are not always sweet. The circumstances of providence are not always sweet, but the fruit of providence always is. The, pr- the fruit of providence always is beneficial. The circumstances might not be sweet, but the fruit of it always is. Samuel Rutherford, who spent a lot of time in prison Uh, English reformer he says oh what I owe to the file to the hammer to the furnace of my Lord Jesus and then he says to I think a really good picture I see that grace grows best in winter grace grows best in winter so it only produces what is beneficial to our ultimate good it's absolutely effectual it's all-encompassing and then here for us considering providence meditating on it, thinking about it, in our minds, and our hearts, considering providence is a source of cheerful support and encouragement. It helps us. Just like that man who was in the hospital room, his face is lifted up as he's thinking about his partner for life, his wife, as her health is fading right before his eyes. He's reading it. I can be patient when things go against me. I can be thankful when things go well. And so it is a cheerful thing to us to consider divine providence. When trials come our way in the path of obedience, we need to know divine providence. When uh, consequences come our way from our own sin, we need to know divine providence. Once again, Rutherford says, "...it is the Lord's kindness that he will take the scum off of us in the fire." So narrow is the entry to heaven that our knots, our bunches and lumps of pride and self-love, and idle love and world-love, it must be hammered off of us, that we may throng in stooping low and creeping through that narrow and thorny entry. So when trials come our way, we need to embrace providence. When consequences come our way because of our own sin, Even in the midst of our repentance and seeking uh, God's spirit and his grace, we need providence. It should also be uh, mentioned that the doctrine of providence is not to be of comfort to those who live in unrepentant rebellion against God. Even those who may claim that they believe in God or that they have some kind of sense of God being in control of their lives... This doctrine is not given to those who remain unrepentant about their sin and those who perhaps are experiencing consequences because of that sin if they're in the mire and the muck that they've created from their own sinfulness. The doctrine of providence is not to be a comfort to them until they shake off their love of their sin, come to the Lord in repentance and seek his forgiveness. The doctrine of providence is for those who suffer on the path of obedience even though they stumble and fall, even though they sin. That's, what this, that's who this doctrine is for. And so then uh, for the next, the rest of the time that we have, we will think about how it is that we consider providence and make it of advantage to us. John Flavel, Puritan, who perhaps wrote the, uh, the gold standard of providence, the mystery of providence... Uh, is the book that he wrote. He says this in, in the book. It is the duty of the saints, especially in times of trial, to reflect upon the performances of providence for them in all the states and through all the stages of their lives. It is our duty to think about how God has brought us from one step to another to another and how he has glorified himself through us, how he has provided for us through those times and we see in it As one apologist says, in the course of human events, we see in it the existence and the power of God. To God's people, there is perhaps nothing so convincing of God's existence as considering His work of providence in your life. Richard Baxter says this, If thou be a Christian, indeed, I know thou hast, if not in thy book, yet certainly in thy heart, a great many precious favors upon record. The remembrance of rehearsal of them is sweet how much more sweet was the actual enjoyment what he's saying there is simply i know if you have walked with the lord jesus christ i know that you can look back upon your life and you can see where he brought you through the fire and i know that as you remember those things the memory of them is sweet the happening of them is even sweeter so the memory of God's workings comfort us. We're to remember those things. We're to bring them to mind. We live in, a, in an age that is, that is opposed to uh, thinking, spending time deep in thought. Spend time thinking about God's providence in your life. Thanking him for it and reflecting upon it. This has been the practice of God's people. To bring it to memory, right? And that, that's really what the Lord's Day is all about. Bringing to memory the wondrous work of God. Recounting the gospel, recounting his mighty acts. One of the great things that we see in the Old Testament is the names that God has corresponding to his wonderful action. So you have Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Jireh, Genesis 22, uh, where Abraham is commanded to slay his beloved son, Isaac. And, of course, as his arm comes up, God stops the arm. He provides the sacrifice. So, there, Abraham names him Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide, or the Lord will see to it. He will see to it that uh, we will not have to go through this. He will make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. I was at a funeral uh, several months ago, perhaps a year or so ago or more, and I wasn't—I uh, wasn't ministering at this funeral. I was just uh, partaking, and someone was giving a eulogy, and uh, it was the daughter of the deceased man, and she gave a, a wonderful story where they were uh, walking outside of a store, or they were in a parking lot somewhere, and uh, he was disabled towards the end of his life, uh, couldn't really walk that well, and. She was having trouble getting him into the car, and so he kind of slips out of the car. She needed help to lift him up, and someone kind of runs in and helps them, gets him into the car. Everything was fine. Uh, nobody was seriously hurt. And as she was driving with her father in the car, they were reflecting on the, the, the good deed this good Samaritan did. And, and her father says, "I don't know where he says, "In the thicket." In the thicket, bringing to mind Genesis chapter 22. And what I learned from that was that as a Christian, when you see God provide something seemingly out of nowhere, seemingly at the last moment, and you say, where does that come from? It must have been the Lord. We are to bring to memory the fact that God does that in the gospel, that he makes a way. He provides a sacrifice in the thicket. We needed Jesus to be that sacrifice. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Nissi, when Israel defeated Amalek, God commanded Moses to remember and to commemorate that it was the Lord who did it. So that name is a name that means, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. In other words, his name, his fame, his glory is what I will recount. Because I know that the one who does all the work should have all the praise. And so for those who are forgiven of their sin, for those who are given spiritual life in Christ, the Lord is our banner. He receives all the praise because he is the one who has done it. Think of the book of Esther, the festival of Purim. This was a festival that was set up to commemorate that God delivers his people even while they dwell in other lands. He delivers his people from their enemies, even when it seems like God is silent. The name of God, the voice of God, is, is not seen in the book of Esther. God does not speak in that book. And yet he delivers his people. He is sovereign even over those things. And there is a, a festival there to commemorate that God is the protector of his people, that he gives them care for heaven, that he is faithful to his covenant. This is what God's people have done from the beginning, remembering the mighty acts of God. Parim, I think there are some parallels there to what we do in the Lord's Supper. We commemorate that God delivers his people. He delivers them even when they dwell in the midst of enemies. He takes them out with a mighty hand in an outstretched arm. He takes them when they are enslaved to sin and when they are bound in when they are trapped in a cave being pursued by their own sinfulness. And so this is what we do with when we consider providence. We consider the mighty acts of God. We consider his promises and we rest in them. There are perhaps two views of providence. The first is the perfect one, the perfect view of God's workings, which we will not have until glory. We will not have a perfect view of God's providence in this life, one that is entire and full. Flavel says this about this perfect view of God's providence, which we will one day behold. This view of providence is reserved for the perfect state. It is in that mount of God where we shall see both the wilderness and Canaan, The glorious kingdom into which we are come. And the way through which we were led into it. One day we will behold the entire canvas as it were. We will see the way through which God led us into his glorious kingdom. And we will say that God is wise and we will praise him for it. But we will not see providence in that way in this life. We will not have a full view of God's providence. The second view that we have is partial and imperfect. It's one that understands that full understanding is not for this life. It's not what will be, will be granted to us in this life. There's a parallel of what Jesus says to Peter when he's washing the feet of his disciples. Peter says, don't do this, Lord. And Jesus says, what I am doing you do not understand now. But afterward you will Understand That kind of encapsulates a lot of things that happen in our lives. We do not understand it now, but afterward you will understand. The imperfect view of providence that we have in this life, it's like uh, a watch completely disassembled. Everything's taken apart and all of the parts are, are laid out before you. And so you see all of the various parts of this watch, but you don't know how to put it all together. That's reserved for the watchmaker. And so, what we are called to do is first to uh, delight in the beauty that we can see in the various parts. If you can imagine having parts of a watch, a well made watch, laid out before you, and certain parts of it are going to be very beautiful, you're going to say, I think I see how that works. I think I see how that would fit in or what it would do inside of that watch. You take it in your hand or with a little instrument and you can behold the beauty of it. That's part of what we do with God's providence. As we see events unfold in our lives, sometimes we see glimmers of the, of the beauty. Of that full view that we will have. The second thing that we are to do, first we delight in the beauty we can behold of the various parts. The second thing is that we desire most of all. To see the whole design put together. Desire most of all to see the whole thing put together. You look at it and you say wow. This would be a wonderful. A wonderful instrument. A wonderful watch. I would love to see it all all put together. As Christians walking through this pilgrim life. We must desire most of all. To see all of God's providence put together. To behold the whole canvas. And we will see that. We will see it one day. And then thirdly. We must lean on the fact that our view is limited and we must lean on God's goodness and his promises when we cannot discern any goodness in a single part. There are probably would be pieces of that watch that would not be very aesthetically pleasing. And you might pick it up and you might say, what is this? I don't know what it is. I can't understand what it is. In a like manner, there probably are going to be times in your life where you're going to look at it and you're going to say, I don't know what that is. I don't know how to make sense of that. I don't know how to rejoice in that. I'll try, but I don't know how to. When that happens and that will, you must remember that your view is limited. You must remember that one day the wilderness and Canaan will be divided in your eyes and the glorious kingdom will be made plain in front of you and the way through which your God brought you there, you will finally see and you will understand. So you lean on God's providence, you lean on his sovereignty, his promises and his goodness even when you cannot discern any goodness in a single part. There may be times that are difficult but we kind of know uh, that they're going to come, the loss of, of loved ones. There may be untimely deaths that make us mourn even more. There may be things that are, as I mentioned before, things that are absurd and you don't, know, you don't even have the categories to even think about the kind of evil that is present in the world. When that happens, desire most of all to see the whole design put together. Remember that your view is limited and that And remember God's goodness, even when you cannot discern any goodness in a single part. We know that that will happen. Thus, we can be patient when things go wrong. We can be positive as we look towards the future. Isn't that wonderful? As God's people, you can can have a positive look towards the future because of what he has promised to you. That the circumstances of providence may not always be sweet. The fruit of providence. Always is sweet. He always is bringing about the best result. So be faithful and trust in him. Live your life trusting in the gospel. Desiring to be one of God's faithful children. Knowing that the doctrine of providence is for you. And rest in it. Desire most of all. To remind yourself that one day you will delight and behold all of the beauty. Put all together. By the glorious and wonderful watchmaker. Who sees history unfold according to his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for what you give to us and what you promise to us. As Psalm 57 comes around and as David cries, so we would cry, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. He was trapped in a cave and what did he desire? The glory of God. May we, desire that as well and uh, may you impress these truths upon our hearts tonight in Christ's name amen let's